Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing well this week. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Life is going well. It's yeah, exciting. I'm just kind of settled into my new normal. And hey, the weather's great. The yeah, the weather is beautiful. perfect. Yes, I yes. know. That is one thing I have been so happy about because getting outside of your house is like a totally necessary thing these days. And it's nice to have decent weather to do so in. So, yeah. I hope that's the same for everybody because if not, we sound a little like jerks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful here. Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, we have to look for the bright spots and whatever Absolutely. our situations are. So for us, Always. it's weather. Hopefully, even if it's not weather for you, then maybe there's something, I hope. <laughs> Wait, did you say it's weather? The weather? Oh, that we're yeah. – <laughs> I thought you were like <laughs> trying to say it's beautiful weather and instead you just landed on it's weather. And I was like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't normally describe it that way, but you do you. This is 2020. We do what we want now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just business as usual around here and, yep. um, you know, just excited to be back and recording a new episode uh, this week. And, yeah, I don't really have a lot else to say. I almost never do. Nothing yeah. that is worth mentioning anyway. <laughs> All right. So we'll get right into it then. So everybody has heard the general advice that you should just be nice to everybody that you meet because you really don't know what they're going through in life. And this week's story is a very sobering reminder that even if things appear perfect for somebody, they really could be living in a real life nightmare. The story this week involves a person who is gender nonconforming, and we want to remain respectful However, this case did take place 20 years ago, so we are going to refer to this person the way they referred to themselves instead of applying any kind of labels that we might hear in 2020 because things are just different and there's different terminology now than there was back then. So the story this week takes place in Boston, Massachusetts, and before we get into the episode, we're going to tell you a little about Boston in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So we have talked about Boston in the past, so I thought I'd jump right into some fun facts and skip the demographics because you probably already know there were 694,000 residents as of the 2018 census. Old habits are really kind of hard to break. But Boston Common is an area in Boston that dates all the way back to 1634. It's known for being the oldest public park in the U.S., and people still really enjoy it to this day. The rest of my facts are basically about food because at this point, it's really where I find all of my happiness. <laughs> so <laughs> just buckle up for these. So America's number one least picked snack made by Nabisco, according to me, is the Fig Newton. Mandy, where do you <gasps> land on Fig Newtons? I of like course. them. Of course. I like them. I wouldn't go out of my way, I feel like, to purchase them now, but I... It's kind of like one of those sentimental things for me because when I used to go visit my grandparents, they always had Fig Newtons and like it's such a grandparent thing to think that that's actually a cookie, but they would give them to me and I would eat them. So I kind of associate it with that. And if I see them or if somebody else has them, I'll be like, oh, I want to eat one of those, but I don't buy them, you know, for myself. I can get on board on nostalgia, but not on taste because they just are really <laughs> not. I just I have some kind of hatred towards them. I'm not exactly sure where it comes from. Probably childhood. Most things do. But Fig Newtons are actually named after the Boston suburb, Newton. And I personally think they wish they were associated with something better like the Oreo, which by the way, I found out this week that Oreos have something called a mega Oreo. There's Oreo, double stuff, mega Oreo. I mean, what is it like triple 
triple it's the It's just insides. the cream in the middle. It's so good. <laughs> like I basically just eat the cream anyway. It's just perfection. But I had no idea it was even, it existed. So that was something that came into my life this week. So the tallest building in Boston is named the John Hancock Tower. But not only is it the tallest, it's actually the site where a man named Paul Tavila caught a grape that was thrown from the top of the building at 788 feet in the air back in the 1980s. Now, think about when your kids throw grapes to each other or something. Aren't you just terrified they're going to choke on them? Yeah. Well, when they just do anything with grapes. I know grapes are like one of my biggest fears with uh, my kids choking. <laughs> my husband's the same way. He's always like cut up their grapes. I'm like, she's 11. <laughs> He's like, <I> don't care. <laughs> so this guy's at 788 feet. So the in 2009, the record was sadly broken elsewhere, but that guy wasn't from Boston. So it's less exciting. And also I forgot to figure out his name. So Mandy, speaking of the Guinness Book of World Records, I thought it may be fun to come up with some records we could accidentally be setting in our homes during quarantine, mostly food ones. <laughs> Because I know Gwyneth Paltrow said we should all be using this time to learn a new language. And while I appreciate her enthusiasm, she can kick rocks. So I've created a top three list of world records that you and your family could attempt to break during quarantine. Also, please don't do any of these because they could actually kill you. And Mandy and I cannot deal with both quarantine and homicide charges. So number three, Mandy, how long does it take you to eat a full plate of pasta? If you can eat one in under 26.7 seconds, you could beat the Guinness Book of World Records reached by Michelle Lesko in September of 2017. 26.7 seconds. I don't even know if I can eat a bite that quick. You don't even want to eat it at all. So yeah. Spaghetti. I will eat spaghetti. (laughs) I just assume it's spaghetti when people talk about pasta or I will freak out. It's really fast. Mandy, you like this one. Number two. A burrito. This lady ate a burrito, Leah Leah Shutkiever, in February of this year. 35.26 seconds is the world record. Oh my gosh. How big is the burrito? Is it like a Chipotle size burrito or are we talking We're going to call it a Chipotle size burrito because I did not. Oh, I saw a picture and it looked pretty massive. I was impressed. I mean, I would definitely attempt to beat her on that one. I'm telling you, you can do this in your home. I'm just setting this up for everyone. And lastly, Mandy, this one is a little wordy. And if you hate me, if you out there hate me, this is one you should try at home. Kaif Ali Khan was able to eat 65 grapes in just three minutes. And now you're saying to yourself, Melissa, why would I hate you? You're basically a perfect specimen. And then I'd say, well, that's beside the point. And then try to get chip crumbs out of my bra. And then you'd say, stop getting distracted, Melissa. I still don't understand why this means I'd hate you. This one sounds achievable. 65 grapes in three minutes. Well, you would be actively hating me because this man ate 65 grapes in three minutes with his feet. Ew, what? <laughs> he picked them up with his feet and put them in his mouth. 65 in three minutes. I, like, how is that even a thing that you can get a world record in? Right. At some point, I'm like, who's <laughs> who was like, you know what? I bet I can do <laughs> grapes in my mouth. <laughs> 65 of them. So the next time you make a PB&J sandwich and you decide to add grape jam, it will have a whole new no, terrible meaning. Uh, don't yes. Ruin that for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And back to the episode, Mandy. <laughs> for years, the Sharp family was admired and sometimes envied for their wealth and high societal standing. Richard Sharp was an extremely successful Boston area dermatologist who had made millions over the course of his career. His cosmetic dermatology practice was thriving, and he eventually started a chain of laser hair removal businesses and began a skincare line to go along with these hair removal services. 
He'd been married to his high school sweetheart, Karen, since before he'd gone to medical school and eventually obtained his degree from Harvard. The couple had three children, and the family lived in the prestigious area of Gloucester, Massachusetts, in a gorgeous home with over $2 million in their savings account. But Richard was a man of many secrets, and his life with Karen was far from being the fairy tale that it appeared to be from the outside. Richard John Sharp was born on August 23, 1954, in Derby, Connecticut, to parents Benjamin and Laura. He was a third-born son to his family, who finally had a daughter named Lori just 15 months after Richard was born. Growing up, though, Richard really did not have an easy life. His father worked really hard as a toolmaker and electrician, but that meant he wasn't around a lot and often came home late into the night. He worked such long hours so that he could not only take care of his family of six, but also so that he could keep up with his mounting gambling debts. Benjamin dreamed of one day hitting it big with gambling and getting his family out of the poor, sinking town of Shelton. To cope with his stress, Benjamin drank a lot and became physically and mentally abusive towards his family. He would call Richard and his siblings stupid and worthless, and he would harass his wife in the same way. Benjamin was violently abusive towards his sons, and Richard recalled a time from childhood where he actually witnessed his father repeatedly hitting his older brother in the head with a metal poker. Richard himself was subject to abuse and would often be beat with a baseball bat or chased around the house with a gun. Richard was close with his brothers, and he really even idolized his brother Ben. When Ben left home and got married, Richard was so distraught that he would call his brother on the phone three or four times a day and beg him and his wife to let him come stay with them in California. When both of his brothers finally left home, Richard began taking the brunt of his father's anger and abuse. Richard's younger sister, who was the baby of the family, seemed to be mostly exempt from their father's terror and rage, and over time, Richard became excessively jealous of her. He started taking extreme measures to avoid his father at all costs, and sometimes that meant locking himself in the bathroom, which he said was the only place he could go to get away because he knew his father wouldn't break down this bathroom door since he'd be the one that would have to fix it. The deep emotional and physical abuse that Richard endured throughout his childhood led him to seek comfort wherever he could. One day, while he was locked in the bathroom hiding from another onslaught of verbal attacks, he saw his sister's clothes in a laundry basket and decided to put them on. He said that whenever he wore her clothes, he felt somehow comforted and safer. This would become something that Richard would do often as a child and into his teenage years as a coping mechanism to deal with the constant trauma of his day-to-day life. Over the next several years, dressing in women's clothing went from being something Richard would do occasionally to something that he would be doing nearly every day. When he was just 12 years old, Richard earned a little money by selling golf balls, and he used his earnings to buy himself his own first set of female clothes. This is a day that stood out to Richard, who said that he put on the outfit that he bought and actually went out in public dressed as a female for the first time. Richard kept his hair long, even as a child, and he said that he was, quote, very convincing as a female. When Richard's father found out that he'd been taking his sister's clothes and wearing them, he beat Richard. As Richard entered his teen years, things only got worse. He became hard to handle and defiant and would stay out until the early hours of the morning or sleep at friends' houses to escape. His grades in school were absolutely terrible, and he really barely even attended his classes, and instead he would work doing odd jobs for his brother or for his best friend's dad. Frank Pelagi was Richard's close friend who witnessed firsthand what Richard's home life was like. As Richard grew up and got bigger and stronger, he started to physically fight with his dad to defend himself. 
He was an extremely troubled teen and eventually began emotionally and physically abusing his mom and his sister as well. At one point, his sister put 10 locks on her bedroom door just to keep Richard out after he became exceedingly jealous and angry because her room was bigger than his. Richard started killing his sister's pets and doing a number of other horrifying things. There was one instance where he urinated in his brother's bottle of wine and waited for his brother to drink it, and he considered this some kind of joke. Although his family tried to keep him away from the family pets, Richard would still treat them if they had any kind of medical problems. So despite not having any really medical knowledge at all, if any of the family pets were to get sick, he would take them and, and treat them. And they all ended up recovering from whatever ailment they had. He seemed to have this natural affinity towards medicine and even once saved his sister's life by urging their parents to take her to the hospital. This was a situation where their mom didn't think that she was that sick, but Richard took one look at her and knew that she was in trouble. And he even diagnosed her at home with what he was sure was a severe case of strep throat. And it actually turned out that he was right. And she was severely ill. And he finally did convince his parents to take her to the hospital. And thankfully, she was, you know, able to be treated and was yeah. saved. By the time Richard was 15, he was already having run-ins with the police. He was kicked out of his house after he was caught drinking underage and joyriding with his brother. At his mother's urging, though, Richard was allowed to move back home a short time later. Eventually, Richard began using marijuana, and he became very interested in girls. Although he was still wearing women's clothing in secret, he was attracted to women, and women seemed to be drawn to him. At one point in high school, he had three girls vying for his attention at the same time. But in the spring of 1972, it was 16-year-old Karen Hatfield who caught Richard's attention. He was a junior in high school, and Karen had just started attending his school. After Richard and his friends oogled Karen from a distance, Richard worked up the nerve to actually approach her. After their first interaction, Richard was smitten. He thought she was the most beautiful girl in the whole school, and he started attending his classes again just to be around her. He quickly ditched the two other girls he had previously been entertaining and began only pursuing Karen. Karen was flattered and really excited by Richard's attention. Her family had moved around a lot while she was growing up, and starting in a new school was something she really dreaded, so it was nice that Richard befriended her and introduced her to a circle of friends. Karen's father, John, was a CEO of a multinational electronics manufacturer, which meant that he was constantly moving to different locations and taking his family along, so Karen appreciated that she was able to make friends really quickly in this new place. This time, however, Karen's new friend would change her life, and we're going to get right back into this story after one quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Mother's Day is sneaking up on us, and if your mom is anything like mine, she will claim to have no idea what she wants for Mother's Day. But I know, she knows, and we all know, moms just want to stare at photos of their kids and grandkids all the live long day. It's literally in our collective DNA. And that's why Skylight Frame makes the perfect Mother's Day gift. Skylight Frame isn't just any old frame. It's an interactive frame where you can actually email photos directly to the frame. And your mom or whoever has the frame receives them in just seconds, beautifully displayed in a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen frame. And it really couldn't be easier to use, even for the less technically savvy of us. You can set it up in under 60 seconds. You just plug it in, use the touchscreen to connect your wireless network, and you're in business. 
Plus, several people can send photos directly to the frames, so it's a really great way to keep connected with family and friends from all over. I absolutely love the display clarity my Skylight frame has, and the touchscreen makes it easy to quickly delete photos you no longer want displayed, as well as changing and customizing your settings. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash momsmurder and enter code momsmurder. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash momsmurder and enter code momsmurder. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash momsmurder. In the words of Destiny's Child, can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? Because this bill is insanely expensive and what on earth am I even paying for? Okay, so I made that last part up, but have you ever thought about exactly what you're paying for with one of the big wireless providers? Honestly, it's things like retail stores, even inflated prices and hidden fees. They know we all use our phones around the clock, so we'll pay whatever they tell us. But now there's an alternative to high-priced cell phone plans, and that is Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile makes it so easy for you to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. That's like buying three coffees a month. Three coffees for a cell phone bill compared to everything on the menu, plus some that I normally pay every month. That's because Mint Mobile saves you money by not paying out for storefronts and overhead and passes that savings on directly to you. Our Mint Mobile plans are headed to us now, and I cannot wait to cut the cord with my old wireless plan. These plans are really amazing and include unlimited nationwide talk and text. Plus, I don't have to pay for plans I'll never use because I can choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Plus, I'll get to keep my phone so I don't have to deal with the hassle of switching all my contacts over on the cloud that I still haven't figured out how to use or where in the sky it lives. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash moms. That's mintmobile.com slash moms. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about Richard Sharp and how he had just met this new girl at school. And he was a junior in high school and he met this new girl, Karen Hatfield. Karen was the oldest of five children and was born on October 3rd, 1955. Although she and Richard both came from bigger families, that is really where the similarities between their home lives end. Karen was raised in a loving household with two devoted parents, John and Patricia Hatfield. Karen was sweet and nurturing and always helping with her younger siblings whenever she could. Her brother, John, described their family as wonderful and said that Karen would go out of her way to please anyone. She was very maternal and protective of her four younger siblings, and she took her relationships with them individually very seriously. She was a good student and made A's and B's and had no problem keeping up even when she was moved from school to school. Karen and Richard became more and more friendly with each other, and eventually Richard asked her to the homecoming dance. Even though another boy had already asked Karen, she readily agreed to go with Richard instead after he promised to pick her up and drive her there in his red Mustang. On the evening of the dance, instead of actually going there, Richard and Karen drove around for hours talking to each other, and they barely arrived in time to see the last 15 minutes of the dance. From that night on, they were officially a couple. Richard started picking Karen up for school each morning, and the two became inseparable. Karen's father had heard some of 
the whispers around about Richard and how he was kind of a known troublemaker who skipped school a lot and was generally not the kind of friend or boyfriend that you would want your daughter to have. They tried to get Karen to back off the relationship a bit, and they told her they would really prefer if she started riding the bus to school instead of riding in Richard's car with him every morning. But when Richard found out that her parents asked her to do this, he actually challenged Karen's father by telling him that Karen was 16 and she could do whatever she wanted, which that's really like that's really brave at 16 or 17 years old to say to this girl that you want to date's like father, you can't just brave get and in, stupid like, her dad's face and say that like yeah. she's 16, she can do what she wants. So of course, Karen's parents didn't really like Richard and they really weren't thrilled with the situation at all, but they didn't intervene a whole lot and they continued to let Karen date Richard and just kind of see where this went. Unbeknownst to Karen, Richard continued his abusive ways at home and had frequent violent outbursts directed towards his mother and his sister, but he was careful to hide this side of himself from Karen and her family. During the couple's senior year in high school, things got very complicated when Karen realized that she was pregnant. She hid the pregnancy from her parents for as long as she could, but eventually she had to tell them. Her parents were really upset, but they allowed Karen to leave school and complete the remainder of her schooling with a tutor at home. During the pregnancy, there were a lot of questions over what Karen should do. The idea of adoption was weighed heavily, but before there was a decision made, Karen went into labor two months early. On May 31, 1973, Shannon Sharp was born. Karen and Richard had to make some very adult decisions despite just being teenagers themselves. They discussed what they really wanted from their futures, whether or not they should get married, and where they should live. Richard wanted Karen's father to fix up their basement so that he and Karen could live down there with their new daughter, but Karen's dad said absolutely not, which caused even more tension between Richard and the Hatfields. Baby Shannon spent several weeks in the hospital getting strong enough to come home, and when the baby did get to finally leave the hospital, she went to live with Karen and her family without Richard. He tried to work and save money, but he became really obsessive over Karen and baby Shannon. Eventually, he tried to convince Karen to marry him and be with him forever, which freaked Karen out, and she actually left to go stay with an aunt in Pennsylvania without warning. Karen tried to stay away from Richard and rejected several marriage proposals, but eventually he talked his way back into her good graces, and the two of them got a marriage license on August 20th, 1973, without telling their families. Twelve days later, they were legally married by Justice of the Peace. Three of their friends were witnesses, and baby Shannon was also there. Karen's family was extremely upset and believed that Richard had successfully manipulated his way into getting Karen to marry him, and they really worried that they had lost her forever. Immediately after getting married, Karen and Richard moved into an apartment, and his truest colors began to come out. He was violently impulsive and had frequent bouts of anger that would wake their sleeping daughter in the middle of the night. Just a week into their marriage, Richard smashed an alarm clock on the wall because Karen forgot to set it and that caused him to oversleep. So he took it out kind of on the alarm clock by throwing it against the wall. Later that same year, both Richard and Karen began attending college. They didn't have a lot of money the first several years of their marriage and mostly lived on student loans and the income that Karen made from working at a daycare to help put Richard through school. As more time passed the more abusive Richard became towards Karen and towards Shannon. 
he really ruled over them and made their lives at home a living nightmare. And in one instance, he refused to let Karen leave their home for over two days. The physical abuse escalated and there were assaults so severe that Karen had to actually beg Richard to let her go to the hospital. And she promised that she would lie about how she'd gotten these injuries, but she knew that she needed medical attention. Despite Richard's horrific actions at home, his professors and classmates thought he was absolutely brilliant. He performed amazingly in school, and one of his professors said that he was the brightest student he'd ever taught. In 1978, he got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, chemistry, and physics, and immediately decided to continue his education, working towards a master's degree. By this time, Karen had also graduated and had gotten her first job as a nurse. Richard had always used cross-dressing as a means of relaxing himself, but during this time, he started trying something new. He began taking Karen's birth control pills, which resulted in Richard growing small breasts, which he seemed to be happy about. Karen was aware of her husband's desire to dress in women's clothing, but of course, she would never question him about it. With her new income, plus Richard's handsome salary as a mechanical engineer, the couple was finally experiencing a little financial stability. But Richard wanted to go all the way for a medical degree, something that he had been interested in really his whole life. Between his schooling and Karen's work schedule, little Shannon spent most of her time at the Hatfields' home. In 1985, Richard graduated with a medical degree at the age of 31. He was officially a doctor, and he began a three-year residency at Harvard Medical School. He performed so well at Harvard that they actually asked him to come on as faculty. After his residency, Richard took a job as a cancer research scientist and continued teaching at Harvard. The money really started to flow for Richard, and he bought the family a beautiful home in Gloucester. But things between Richard and Karen were just as bad as ever, and they only got worse when Richard came home one night and found that Karen was actually there with another man. A violent confrontation ensued, and Richard was eventually committed to a psychiatric facility and diagnosed with a personality disorder. But somehow, and as he always did in the past, he managed to reconcile with Karen and he signed himself out of a hospital just days later with prescriptions for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Karen made the decision to stay with him. He began studying to become certified as a dermatologist and eventually took over a small part-time dermatology office. In the fall of 1991, he and another doctor partnered up and started a new medical company to develop products for skin disorders such as psoriasis. Richard named himself CEO, and the company was a success. He helped develop several products and received four patents, with a lot more than that coming down the line. Meanwhile, Richard was using prescription pills and drinking alcohol, making his behavior worsen and become more and more unhinged. And then the situation became more complicated in early 1992 when Karen learned that she was pregnant again at the age of 36. By this time, Shannon was 18 years old. Karen's family was devastated, and they believed that this new pregnancy would keep Karen trapped in this life of abuse with Richard. They had been really excited that Shannon was finally an adult and that Karen was getting to a point where she could have had an easier time leaving the marriage. But Karen was actually ecstatic at the idea of becoming a new mother again. She loved being a mom to Shannon, and she welcomed the idea of raising another child. In September of 1992, their son, Michael Richard Sharp, was born, and the new parents seemed to both be really excited. 
Richard even embraced becoming a father again. And before long, Karen was asking for another child so that Michael wouldn't have to grow up alone the way that Shannon did. At this time, Karen started focusing all of her attention on being a mom, and she completely stopped talking about divorcing Richard to her friends and family, which is something that she had previously been talking about. On November 17th, 1995, Richard and Karen welcomed a daughter named Alexandra Elizabeth, and they called her Allie. Richard's career continued to soar, even though he was extremely unprofessional and verbally abusive towards his staff and his coworkers. He was considered an expert in his field and highly regarded as a fantastic dermatologist. He became interested in the field of hair removal, and in the late 90s, he had all of his own body hair removed in an effort to become more feminine. He also underwent plastic surgery on his face and had liposuction. Karen went along with Richard's cross-dressing and would occasionally photograph him wearing women's clothing and lots of makeup, but she was shocked and disgusted to learn that he had once again been stealing her birth control and that he had been wearing her and Shannon's lingerie. Richard continued to thrive, and by 1997, he'd already made his first million dollars, although Karen had absolutely no clue of this because Richard controlled all of the finances and never told her how much money they had. In the summer of 1998, Richard switched career paths and began focusing his attention on laser hair removal and cosmetic surgery. He began offering liposuction, hair removal, collagen treatments, power peel, facelifts, and Botox. Interestingly enough, he refused to perform breast augmentation surgeries. When Shannon was 25, Richard offered her a job for $100,000 a year to come work for him. She helped him by cold-calling potential partners and investors and eventually helped Richard open up other offices and eventually started the company Lay's Hair. In February of 2000, a rival company almost sued Richard over an issue with his website, and in order to cover his butt and ensure he wouldn't lose all of his money, he transferred it into Karen's name. This was the first time Karen ever knew how much money Richard had. He transferred $2.9 million and one of their homes into her name. Once the money and house were in Karen's name, she kind of developed a little pep in her step and started feeling good and empowered about her situation. The family had been in the middle of renovating another new home around this time, and Karen ended up falling in love with the builder working on the house. His attention and kindness was just what Karen needed and really craved, and it changed her. At this time, Richard's behavior became really bizarre and erratic, and he was leaving the house dressed in women's clothing every night and not returning home until all hours of the morning. Karen had no idea where he was going or what he was doing, but she really didn't care because he wasn't there. A few weeks later, Karen reached her breaking point with Richard when he came home one morning while seven-year-old Michael was getting ready to go to school. Richard came stumbling in the house wearing smeared makeup on his face, and Karen just was not having any of it. And we're going to get into what happened next after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Rapid Lash Eyelash Enhancing Serum is a safe, clinically proven, and award-winning lash enhancing serum that cosmetically boosts the look of your lashes in as little as four to six weeks. Rapid Lash is tried and true and has over 6 million units sold worldwide, plus makeup artists, celebrities, consumers, and beauty editors all trust it as well. Rapid Lash is super easy to apply, and you just need to apply it once at night on clean, dry skin to the base of your lash line. Makeup can even be applied after the serum dries in just a few minutes. The formula is ophthalmologist and dermatologist tested, safe for contact lens wearers, 
Plus, it's paraben and fragrance-free and not tested on animals. It can even be used with lash extensions. If you struggle with thinning lashes that are due to age, stress, hormonal shifts, medications, even damage from false lashes, lash extensions, or environmental factors, Rapid Lash is ideal for you. I have naturally thin eyelashes, some of which is from age, a lot of which is from stress, so I really love that there's a product out there that I can actually use, and it works really well so far. I have seen a big improvement in my lashes just using it for a month now. So whether it's for a special occasion or you just want the look of youthful lashes every day, Rapid Lash is available at CVS, Ulta Beauty, Target, and Walgreens.com for $49.95. Or visit RapidLash.com and use the code RAPID30 to save 30% off site-wide. And learn about Rapid Lash's other products like Rapid Brow, Rapid Shield, Rapid Eye, Rapid Hair, and Rapid Renew. That's RapidLash.com and use the code RAPID30 to save 30%. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. Within the same week of Richard and Karen's fight over his coming home early in the morning after this night out that he had, Shannon, who had been living in a guest house on her parents' property, discovered that Richard had randomly purchased some hoses and duct tape. And when she saw these items on the kitchen counter, she was immediately concerned about what he planned to do with them. On Monday, February 28th, 2000, Karen contacted a divorce attorney and made a motel reservation for herself and the two young kids. Her plan was to sneak off with the kids to the motel and never return to Richard. That night when he arrived home from work, he wasn't feeling well and Karen encouraged him to go up to their bed and rest, promising to bring him a cup of tea a little bit later. But once he was asleep, Karen loaded the kids into her car and took off. Richard was distraught when he woke up and realized that Karen and the kids were gone. He plummeted into prescription pill abuse and started drinking heavily. Richard did not want to get a divorce, and the first time he saw Karen again was actually at an attorney's office, and he pleaded with her to put the divorce proceedings on hold just for a couple of months so that they could figure things out and possibly reconcile their marriage. But Karen was really adamant about going full speed ahead with the divorce. In one affidavit that she filed in the divorce, she wrote, quote, Our household was riddled with tension. And she described the physical and psychological abuse that she endured throughout her entire marriage to Richard. Karen and the kids settled into a new house, but a short time later, she did briefly reconcile with Richard. 
But while they were attempting to work things out, Richard convinced Karen to transfer $2 million back into his name. And eventually Karen felt like she had just been had and that the only reason Richard even wanted to make up with her was to regain the access to this money. So she finally told him once and for all that she wanted to get this divorce. Richard was angry over Karen's choice to divorce him and take his kids away from him. Things were very tense between them, and Karen started to confide in her therapist that she was actually very worried that Richard would kill her. After having already heard the countless tales of abuse that Karen suffered at the hands of her husband, her therapist strongly encouraged Karen to get a restraining order against Richard. The kids, Mikey and Allie, were allowed to have visitation with Richard, but he had to pick them up on the curb outside of Karen's home because he was not allowed to go inside. The kids really dreaded these visits with their father, and it was really heartbreaking for Karen to have to send them over there. One of her biggest fears was that Richard would go to the children's school and pick them up and run off with them. Karen was seeking a sense of comfort and normalcy, and during this time she was dating a new man who gave her attention and affirmation that she lacked throughout her marriage to Richard. But that new relationship fell apart when she learned that the man she'd been falling in love with was actually married with a family. Richard also began seeing another woman, and he would involve her in joy rides past Karen's home, which of course was where he was not supposed to be. But he kept his cross-dressing a secret from this new woman. That summer was really stressful for Karen and the kids. They were all having to learn this new way of life without Richard around. And each time Richard did come around, it was very tense and uncomfortable for everybody. By July, Richard had actually changed some and began trying extra hard to prove to Karen that he could be a good father. On July 14th, Richard reached out to a mutual friend and asked if she would help him go on a date with Karen. So he was basically asking if he would set them up kind of on a blind date, but not blind, but just asking her to like facilitate them going on a date together. And he told this friend that he was desperate to get back together with Karen. Well, the friend refused to coordinate a meeting between them and told Richard that Karen moved on and that he should do the same thing. So Richard was once again defeated and became very, very angry. It was at this moment that things really took a turn for the worst, and Richard calmly planned his final revenge on his estranged wife. Later that night, Richard and his new girlfriend, Paula, made plans to have dinner at a seafood restaurant. Richard took six different prescription painkillers and tranquilizers before they even headed out to the restaurant called Halibut Point in downtown Gloucester. Along the way, Richard stopped at his office and picked up a 22 caliber rifle that he had already hidden there. From there, Richard and Paula went on to dinner. Paula knew a lot of people at the restaurant, and she spent a lot of time that evening going from table to table saying hi to old friends, while Richard sat at their table alone and washed his dinner down with about six glasses of red wine. This is on top of the six prescription pills that he already took before this. Wow. Richard was in good spirits, although at this point he was heavily under the influence of both drugs and alcohol. But when they left the restaurant, he suggested that they go to another place for a drink called the Blackburn Tavern. After having one drink there, Paula realized that Richard was too intoxicated to be drinking more, and she just insisted that they leave. Paula had promised another friend that she would stop by his house and close the windows that night. When they got there, Richard insisted on going inside with Paula, even though she was really uncomfortable with him doing this and didn't feel like he needed to go inside, which all she was doing was walking in this house, closing the windows, and coming right back out. She eventually gave in and chose not to argue with Richard and figured there was really no harm in letting him come inside. 
When Paula was going around closing windows, Richard secretly stole a hunting rifle off of a gun rack and put it in the backseat of his car. Richard and Paula got back to his house shortly before 11 p.m. and planned to hang out in the jacuzzi, but then Richard suddenly announced that he had lost his pager, which he needed because sometimes, of course, he would receive emergency calls for his practice. Paula agreed to retrace her steps and to try to find the pager and said that she'd call him as soon as she found it. At this point, Paula left Richard for the night. As soon as Paula was gone, Richard attempted to call Karen. Karen had been out that night having a wonderful night with her family and didn't answer any of Richard's calls. Karen had actually just returned home from an evening out and she was at home with her babysitter, her brother, and her brother's new girlfriend. When Karen arrived home that evening, there was kind of a little bit of chaos because the babysitter's eye had been accidentally scratched and she needed to be seen by a doctor. Karen had just finished writing the sitter's health insurance information on a piece of paper, and she was just about to head out the door to drive her to the emergency room when suddenly the front door opened slightly and Richard's head poked in. The first person that Richard saw was the babysitter holding a bandage over her eye, and he asked her where Karen was. As he looked around, he noticed that Karen's brother and his girlfriend were also there. Seconds later, Karen walked towards the door, firmly telling Richard that he was not supposed to be there and needed to leave. At that very moment, Richard kicked the door open all the way, and Karen could see that he had a rifle pointed directly at her. She screamed and turned to run away, but Richard fired one shot into her back, killing her instantly. He then calmly walked back to his car and drove off. In the aftermath of Karen's murder, her brother frantically dialed 911 and cried uncontrollably into the phone that his sister had been shot. Those remaining in the home feared that Richard would actually return to kill them all, but Richard was long gone. He'd headed for a motel in New Hampshire to hide out. Police put out an APB on Richard and a manhunt started. The news of Karen's murder made major headlines in Massachusetts and around the country. Richard's SUV was eventually spotted at the motel, and a SWAT team moved in to take him into custody. The motel where he was staying was evacuated for the safety of the other patrons, and at around 3.30 a.m., the SWAT team commander ordered his men to move in. We talked about this in an episode, uh, the guy in Florida, um, where they have to evacuate the hotel, and I can't think of anything more terrifying than a SWAT team coming to your hotel room and saying, hey, you got to get out. We've got a major, you know, that is, I can't imagine how unsettling that would be. When confronted by the officers, Richard gave himself up without a fight. Officers searched the room but found no weapons. They did find a piece of clothesline fashioned into a noose that they believed that Richard planned to use to end his own life. He was then charged with first-degree murder. In the immediate aftermath of Karen's murder, her young children struggled to cope with what they had seen. Of course, they're witnesses to their mother's murder. They were terrified of their father and repeatedly asked the adults around them if they'd ever have to see him again. That's so heartbreaking to me to think of these little kids, like, even having to ask that question. Yeah, and knowing, you know, they obviously didn't have a great relationship with him prior to that, but then to see what he did to their mother in front, I just can't even understand it. So at this time, the kids were really young. They were just, uh, Mikey was seven years old and Allie was four. On July 19th, a memorial service was held for Karen with over 350 people in attendance. A couple of weeks later, temporary custody of Mikey and Allie was granted to Karen's sister Kathleen and her husband. Richard tried to fight back and have his family petition the court against allowing Karen's family to have custody of the children. 
A short while later, Richard appeared in court where he pled not guilty to the murder, and he was then sent to a state mental hospital for 30 days so that he could be evaluated. Eventually, he was taken to Essex House of Correction. Later in 2000, as Christmas time got closer, Richard hatched a plan to actually escape from prison. He befriended another inmate named Stephen Smith to help him find some people on the outside who would be willing to kill police officers. In return, Richard told the inmate that he would give him $1 million. The plan ended up not working out for Richard, and he ended up giving the man a smaller amount of money to have a friend instead set up a three-way calling system so that he could talk on the phone without the authorities monitoring him. So together with Stephen Smith, he worked to hatch an escape plan, but it ended up also not working out because Stephen got wind that Richard's assets had actually been frozen since he was in jail, and he actually did not have access to any of his own money at the moment. Wow. Richard's trial took place in November of 2001. His defense team was alleging that he was legally insane and could not be held responsible for killing his wife. But prosecutors disagreed entirely with the notion that Richard was insane or in any way incompetent. They believed that he was fully capable of understanding his actions and that he worried Karen was going to drain him dry financially in their divorce. When Richard was first arrested, he had a completely different appearance than the one he had by the time his trial was going on. At the time of the murder, Richard had a short haircut and appeared well-groomed, but by the time he was at trial, he'd let his hair grow long again, and he took great care to make himself appear as though he simply could not remember anything about the murder or anything leading up to it. Every dark and twisted detail of the sharp marriage was brought to light during the trial, and Richard and Karen's oldest daughter, Shannon, publicly and repeatedly admonished Richard and declared that he was no longer her father. Shannon was also a top advocate for her younger siblings and getting justice for what they had endured during their short lives. Richard's defense alleged that he suffered from numerous disorders, including depression and intermittent explosive disorder, which was only exacerbated by his alcohol abuse. At the end of Richard's trial, the jury ultimately agreed with the prosecution that Karen Sharp had been subjected to ongoing, repeated abuse at the hands of her husband and that he was not suffering from insanity when he decided to murder her. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Shannon Sharp said that her dad was right where he belonged and that she would never speak to him or visit him ever. She also stated that Mikey and Allie did not miss him and were in fact happy to be away from him and never having to see them again. Shannon was quoted as saying, I was afraid I would come home and find the three of them dead on the front stairs. That was my worst nightmare, that he would do something, and it came true. That's terrifying to have lived her life like that, you know. It's just heartbreaking, yeah. It is. She's seen it her entire life and then, you know, knew something was going to happen. And, and to lose her mom like that is just unbearable. Following Richard's conviction, he struggled with suicidal thoughts regularly. In 2002, he attempted to hang himself in his cell, but was unsuccessful. In 2007, Richard was charged with attempting to have a hitman murder the prosecutor from his trial, but he was later acquitted of the charges. A couple of years later, in 2009, Richard was found dead in his cell after using a bedsheet to hang himself. Shannon Sharp has done her best to erase all memory of Richard from her life. Mikey and Allie were raised by Karen's sister Kathleen in a very loving environment. Kathleen gave a statement to the media that said, quote, Karen Sharp was a loving mother in spite of what anybody said. She was a wonderful daughter and a friend, and that's who she was. 
What a heartbreaking story because this is years and years of abuse that this lady suffered from him. And it's a terribly heartbreaking story. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, telling her therapist she knew he was going to kill her, her daughter knowing it was going to happen. And there was really kind of nothing. Nothing was going to stop him. Really. I mean, she had a restraining order. Nothing was going to stop him. He wanted her dead. Yeah. Just absolutely yeah. horrible. Well, and the other thing that always like really upsets me in these cases is when you learn so much about, um, about even about the killer in this case, and he himself suffered severe child abuse from a very young age. And so this is just part of the cycle of abuse, you know, and it's a very real thing that people who are abused can sometimes end up you know, using those same kind of mechanisms to, you know, deal with their anger on people later on in their lives. And so this just kind of continues and goes on and on. And it's just terribly sad to even think that Richard grew up in that kind of environment and grew into be the person that he was. And then he ended up going on and killing someone. And like, it's just so sad and so terrible and so many years in the making, you know, that so many things had to happen for this to happen. And it's just so terrible for Karen and her family and her kids. It's just, you can't even fathom living a life like mm-hmm. that and being scared of your own dad who then eventually shoots your mom in front of you. Like how it's just awful to even think about those young kids and what they, you know, had to go through to recover from that and be able to even live a somewhat normal life after something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So we will, of course, uh, put all of the sources for this episode in the show notes. As usual, I did just want to give a special shout out to a book that I read on this case. Um, I did use a lot of information as far as um, Richard and Karen's background was found in the book that I did not find anywhere else um, in any other sources. So I did use a lot of uh, information from the book for that. And the book is really good. This case is so there's so much and there's so many details and so many stories of specific times and different kinds of abuse that, you know, Karen went through. It's a very fascinating book. It's a really, really good read. So I highly recommend it. The book is called Twisted, The Secret Desires and Bizarre Double Life of Dr. Richard Sharp, and it is by John Glatt. So if you are a true crime book lover, this is a really good one. It's really well written, and there's so much detail, like just so much more. You can really get a feel for kind of what Karen's life was actually like with Richard, and it's so, so good. So if you have a chance or you're bored and you want to read a book, definitely check that one out. Yeah. So Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and move on to last thing before we go? I think we have some good ones this week. Absolutely. So, um, we polled the Facebook, um, fan group and we wanted to kind of see if you guys had any fresh ideas and I got a ton of them, which I'm saving for later. Um, so we're going to do a couple of them now. So the first one I want to quickly do, cause it's just a really quick thing. So, um, Cassandra F wanted to know if my son ever got his chips. Cause I know we talked about it last week or whatever week it was that my son just wanted chips. In oh quarantine yeah. And mad at me <laughs> that I didn't ever buy chips, chips and or dip. Have any junk food or anything. <laughs> so yes, I just want to say he did get his chips and dip. I ended up buying a bunch of bags of tortilla chips, like, you know, the $2 ones that you get, the $2. They're literally labeled $2, no matter where you get them. They literally say $2 on them. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up getting like three bags of those and I got a big thing of seven layer dip and everybody has just been eating chips and seven layer dip. Like that's all we're eating. (laughs) And I just told my son, like, I hope he's happy because that's what he said he wanted. So he did get his chips. That's so good. So that's good. (laughs) Okay. So moving on. So Lauren M 
asked if we had any tips for um, people who have now been thrust into a life of homeschooling their children. Um, I don't like giving people tips on that because I got to be frank, I don't think I do it perfectly. So I don't like yeah. to give other people advice. But I thought maybe it would be nice if we did talk about kind of our experience with homeschooling our kids again. Um, I know both of us put our kids in part-time schools, you know, this year. And so we were kind of getting used to a different life where our kids were not home with us and now they are back home with us full time. And so it's been a little bit of a struggle for me to figure out that balance. So we've had like all year where it's been, I've been working from home, working on the show and then my kids go to school a few hours a week and now they're back home with me and I have to school them and still work from home. So it's been a little bit of a challenge. I don't, I mean, I know that it has for you as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, but I mean, as far as like tips go, I don't know if I have any tips really. I think the biggest thing for me has been to remember that what's going on right now is really unprecedented and everybody is losing their minds and nobody knows how to deal with it. And so I would say my biggest tip is just don't try to be perfect. Don't try to be that perfect parent who just gets all these things done and has like a full day of, you know, educational school, you know, things scheduled for your kids and do what you need to do. Of course, I'm not saying just don't do anything because obviously that would be terrible, terrible advice. That would not be a good tip. But I think my number one piece of advice would just be like to don't stress out and to kind of take it day by day, make a list of things that your kids need to get done and what they need to do and work on them slowly. And it's okay if you don't just sit down for six hours and just do all this school, you know, you can break it up and do a little here and do a little there. But mostly if my kids are fighting me on doing school, I mean, sometimes we just say, I guess, we're playing outside a lot yeah. today and not doing as much school. So that's 100%. fine, you know. So that's my tips and advice. How about you, Melissa? Yeah. So my daughter started full-time school in January and it's been amazing for her. She's loved it. My son's still been at home and he's doing like a lot of therapy and stuff, which has been good, but we're out more. So there isn't as much home time. So it's the same idea. Now everybody's home all the time. And we'd gotten, I had nine weeks of, <laughs> of like learning a new life and it was pretty cool. Um, so we're still kind of figuring it out. But I would say my uh, friend, Sarah, who uh, is wonderful and like the homeschooling mom guru and her kids, Anderson, Caroline and Sullivan, who I adore. I have to say their name because a couple of them listen. Um, they're wonderful. But she always says to give yourself grace. So it, this is the craziest time in the beginning, if you think about it, like everyone's going through it at the same time. I keep telling my daughter that we're all going through this. So it's not like just your school is or just your friend. Everybody is. So at the beginning of school next year, when we all get back in school, nobody's going to think you're going to be a genius from <laughs> from all of this. They're going to know there's going to have to be review. Like we all know that everyone's not going to be where you might have been during school year. You know what I mean? Like People are working full-time jobs and being home and still having to get their kids' assignments in. Give yourself some grace. Give your kids some grace. The relationship is, to me, the relationship is the most important thing. And we have this really weird time where we're home with our kids that we might not have. And like, if you can enjoy it, it, which I know you can't always enjoy it 100% of the time, even like 50% of the time is kind of the goal for me. But just enjoy the time you do as you can, but don't put pressure right. on yourself. And there are people that can do these amazing things. And I look at them and my favorite thing were people that have like the first week was very well planned. And after the second week, I'm like, hmm, where's your post now? I don't see yeah. any more posts from you. <laughs> because I get it. The enthusiasm's there in the beginning. But don't 
don't judge yourself by other people's, you know, what they can do. It's great. I like the saying, it's good for her, not for me. And that's just kind of how I feel about things now. Like if it works for you, that's wonderful, but it might, it might not. That's okay. We're all going to be a little behind next year. That's how I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Every We're all going <laughs> to have to have remedial too. stuff. It's There's no way they're going to be like, wait, well, what did you do last year? Well, I was home with my mom and she was working 40 hours a week and I watched the, you know, I played on the Wii a lot. Is the Wii still a thing? I don't know if it is. We, I played on the I, I think it's a new thing now, but yes. <laughs> I stayed on the place. I was on the PlayStation a lot. I was on my Switch a lot. Everyone's going to know that's just how it is. It's okay. We're all literally surviving. It's fine. You'll be fine. Your kids will be fine. Nobody's going to think about this time as like some great educational reawakening. Screw Gwyneth Paltrow. Just survive. Right. I totally a lot agree. of words, but totally I feel terrible surviving. for people. I think that was basically both of our tips. Yeah, yeah, but some people like put, I, you know, you just feel like they're like, I have to do all these things. And what if my kid's not doing that? I'm like, are you kidding me? Give them an iPad. This is the time your like pediatrician would be like free for all with the iPad. Don't worry. Just like everyone just has to survive. Just love your kids. Love on your kids. Just get through it. We'll We'll get through it. Well said, Melissa. Oh, no, it wasn't. Like, it was a lot of circles yes, and was. I got really <laughs> – I just feel bad for people. I just don't want people to like be a hard on themselves. I do too. I do too. And that's like the main thing that I see a lot of with my – you know, my friends saying that they're worried that they're not doing enough, that they're not able to do enough. And it's like it's okay. You're you're not a teacher and no one is expecting no. you to just become one overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just – it's not a thing and everybody's in the situation now. So – you're not doing it alone. You don't have to do it perfectly. Your kids are not going to be ruined for the rest no. of their lives if, you know, over the next three months you don't do like exactly what they would have done at school. It's going to be fine. So that's my piece of advice. My, and Melissa, yeah, as it turns out. It turns out your kids can learn a lot from YouTube. I am very much yeah. a believer in that. <laughs> you can have a YouTube education. It's okay. They'll, they'll make it. They'll survive. Yeah. So, Melissa, do you want to do one more funny I do, thing? You know, and we it. can try and keep it quick. Um, so, Paula D, Paula D Mayo, who we love so Absolutely. much and always submits like the best ideas for last thing before we go. Um, and then I saw that Stacy P, the third mom, um, signed and sealed on this idea as well. So, they want us to do Date, Mary Kill, Tiger King edition, <laughs> and I think that would just be so fun to do. I love so, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay. So, date. I would date John Ranky, the really likable guy that was really tall and like was the one of the managers on the at the park. Oh yeah. yeah. He's tall, he has long legs, very cool legs, but he's very nice and I just thought like he's pretty normal and I enjoyed him. I think he would be a nice person to be around. I agree. Yeah. What who do you have for date? We're both happily um, married, so this is okay, just Okay, so for date, and you, you're going to die because you're going to be like, oh my gosh, no. Okay, so um, I mean, I feel like out of the cast of characters, which by the way, they weren't great options to choose from, um, I feel like I would like go on dates and like date the doc. doc Are you so out of your cast. ever-loving mind? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I might end up in a cult. You would 100% I mean- <laughs> allegedly be involved in some cultish activity. he has activity. money. He's got money. He has tigers and wild animals. And he likes to party. And he seems like a pretty down-to-earth. Are you out of your <laughs> ever-loving mind? I ask it again. <laughs> I mean, I really thought better thing, for like, you. I mean, I mean, that's... I just would date him. I'd like... Wouldn't want to. No, be you like, date him and live there forever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I 
<laughs> you don't leave once you date him. Oh my gosh, Mandy. <laughs> Everyone is free to leave, Melissa. He even said Oh that. yeah, yeah. The leader said that. Okay, I'm believing that. Okay, don't sue us. We didn't say anything mean about you. Okay, Mandy, next one, Mary. So (laughs) my husband was like, what is wrong with you when I told him this one? I would marry James Gerritsen, the guy that turned Joe in, the one that was on the jet ski, because you know I love a good snitch, Mandy. I'm going to marry the snitch. (laughs) (laughs) He'll keep keep me in line. Okay, well, I like that, and it seems reasonable. And For me. your choices so far are very like not controversial, like whatsoever. And I feel like again this time you're also going to be like Mandy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm very worried now. <laughs> so for Mary, I definitely think I. I mean, you're saying definitely. You to- I'm only like a kind <laughs> of on these. <laughs> you have to understand that this is <laughs> this is totally based on. Uh, not much at all, except for a picture that I just saw of this person. Oh, I know who it is. Had their teeth picked. It's Finley, isn't it? So, yes, of course. So anyway, um, maybe not while he was on Tiger King, but have you seen him since he's gotten new teeth? Like, why is your voice going up so high? You're very, like, <laughs> you've thought about this one. <laughs> no, he I mean, definitely looks really, a lot different. It's really hard to choose from that group who I would sure, marry. Sure, But he seemed like he a nice has upgraded. Guy, right? Oh, well, like, yeah, yeah. His personality was not terrible. Like even on no. the show, I mean, I felt bad for him. I, I thought he had like a little bit of a past and a rough time, you know. But he seemed like he had a decent personality, and now he has a nice mouth, also. So <laughs> that's who I'm going for. As far as Mary. you have to watch the um, David Spade interviews with them because there was he was on there, and it was really, really, really interesting to hear him talk about like kind of off the cuff and stuff. Even talking about I. They told me to take my shirt off for the interview, you know, because you're like, why is this guy not wearing a shirt? And he was like, oh, the producers told me not to. It just kind of gives you a little insight into the whole thing and his relationship. It, it was really interesting. I think he's a good, a good one, much better than your dating one, much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, kill. I know who I would not say I would kill because that would get me a lawsuit and some prison time if I said that one. Yeah. I would kill whoever <laughs> let it be known into the universe that jo- uh, that Joe didn't sing his own songs. In these times of uncertainty, oh gosh, I needed it to I be know. true. And they took that from me. So I would kill that person. Who told me that? I did. did. You tell me that? <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I was like devastated when I found out because I totally thought like he was just like a really decent country Amazing singer. Amazing singer. <laughs> Voice like an angel. And then I found out it wasn't even yeah. him. I killed yeah. that person. Yeah. That's Allegedly. totally upsetting. I totally get it. Well, I mean, it, I guess it doesn't matter then because for me, and maybe some people will find this shocking, um, but I'm sorry, Joe Exotic is the person I'm choosing for kill because he was one of the most annoying people I've ever seen on television and I didn't like anything about him, to tell you no. the truth. I mean, I didn't like a lot of people on the show, but I also did not like Joe Exotic. No. And I did not think that he was – I did think that his whole business was really shady. Yeah. And I thought it was – he was cutting corners when it came to, like, things like feeding large animals, which I don't think you can Meat do truck? that. Like, yeah. Or, like, saying – like, whenever the other – they other people were explaining how many pounds of meat it takes to feed a tiger, and then Joe Exotic was like, "Oh, I can do it." On yeah, this he's like, I'm like forty-eight, like, forty-eight dollars yeah. and a pack of Marlboros. I got it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I mean, I just don't, and you know how I feel about animals too. So I'm like, if you're going to keep tigers in captivity, like you better take care of them at the very least, um, and not 
basically be starting yeah. out. But um, no, he's so not. I a... didn't have any respect for Joe Exotic, no. and I thought that he was totally all about himself and trying to make a buck and trying to do it as cheaply as possible. Yeah. You know, and didn't I? I don't feel like his heart was in it, and, and he didn't really care about the animals. Um, you know, maybe at some point he did, but I definitely don't think he did. Like at the end, no, I think he know. started off in the right, maybe on the right foot, but then it very quickly turned into something else. Yeah, no, he's not like a likable I mean he's entertaining that's what he is he's very very entertaining well he's fun to watch on tv yeah Yeah, because you're just watching and you're just like look at this guy but um yeah as far as like no right as far as this game goes date Mary kill he's definitely on the kill for me I just can't which is a hypothetical silly game that we're playing in does not at all I'm not actually going to go out of my house and do not a threat Oh, goodness. Yeah, I like your list, Mandy. I mean, very questionable starting off, but it got better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the guy had an elephant. Why don't you just say you wanted to date him because he had an elephant? I can get on board with that one. I mean, yeah, well, I said he had animals. Okay, but the elephant really is the kicker for me. I thought that was kind of cool. That's true. That's true. That's true. I just want I want to date somebody that has a lot of animals, like cool animals to be around. But like, I don't want to date Joe Exotic. So I mean, I didn't really have a lot of other choices. (laughs) So that was really fun and exciting for last thing before we go. I hope you guys enjoyed that and um, didn't just shut it off when we started blabbering about homeschooling and how we don't do anything at Basically. our houses. <laughs> In summary. So, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you guys made it through this whole thing and I hope you guys are all still hanging in there and we will be back next week again we at the same time, at the same place with a new story. I like the inflection. Have a great week. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.